there are times you don't like the work you're doing or you may not like somebody you're working with. But if that is happening over and over and over, it's time to do something about it. I have the capability. I have the the means in order to start my own business. And now's the time. And I have never regretted that decision. Sometimes we put these limits in our head and they hold us back. It's like, how far can you push your mind and body? And you can probably push it further than you can think. People that accomplish big things in, in the office, at work, often accomplish big things elsewhere. And there's a lot of similarities between what you have to do in sports or in business. And, and that's how epic performance came to be. Welcome to the Thought Leader Revolution with Nikki Ballou. Join the revolution. There's never been a better time in history to speak your truth, find your freedom, and make your fortune. Each week, we interview the world's top thought leaders and learn the secrets of how they built a six to seven figure practice. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice. Welcome to another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. I'm your host, Nikki Ballou, and boy, do we have an exciting guest lined up for you today. Today's guest is a former Silicon Valley HR executive. He's the founder of his own leadership consulting business, and he's an amateur ultra-endurance athlete, a lot like my sweetheart, my better half, who does crazy things like run 12 hours on a treadmill. This gentleman has ridden his bike across the United States and run 205 miles around Lake Tahoe. I am speaking, of course, of none other than the one, the only, the legendary Brian Gillette. Welcome to the show, Brian. Uh, it's nice to be on the show, Nikki. Your your uh, your better half uh, spent 12 hours on a treadmill. Three times. Did I hear that correctly? Three, Three times. times. Yeah. Uh, all right. The, I, 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 I People think I do crazy things. I don't know that I'd want to spend 12 hours on a treadmill. Good for well, her. You're, you're both crazy. So let's just say, <laughs> let's just say that. I did the first hour the first time with her. Oh, 12 I cheered, hours. I, I cheered her on after that. Yeah, for oh, sure. For good sure. for you. You know, with anybody that is uh, anybody that's doing something big, you need uh, somebody behind you cheering you on. So so you uh, you helped her get those 12 hours, Nikki. Amen, brother. Amen. So, Brian, God bless you, man. Thanks so much for coming here. I know that you've got a, uh, a book out called Epic Performance, Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. I was interested in having you on the show because I date a um, high-end world record holding endurance athlete. I've had a lot of good friends who are top-level athletes, Olympic gold medalists, and I always am curious about the mindset of a top performer in athletics so you know for me that's kind of like the reason i wanted to have you on but <laughs> this show is dedicated to the entrepreneur right. the show is dedicated to the men and women who have the courage and the guts to have a dream and put it out there and make it happen and you know i'm a champion for freedom free enterprise and free expression and my listeners come here because they believe in those values too and they want to learn from you. They don't want to hear from me. They hear from me every week. So, you know, before they can open themselves up to you, though, they got to get to know you. Tell us your backstory. How'd you get to be the great Brian Gillette? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's, it's good. I look forward to the conversation. So I, uh, about 10 years ago, I was a head of HR and I thought, you know, I've, I've always wanted to run my own 
and uh, company, and so started up a, a leadership development consulting company. But but prior to that, you know, go back to when I was a teenager. I, I love to bicycle. And and I remember I did a and, and and I had parents that supported me. I did a 200 mile bicycle trip from I'm in the San Francisco Bay Area from San Francisco uh, Bay Area up to Yosemite. Uh, so 200 miles, four days. My parents went with me, which I thought was just amazing. And I really had a good time. And that got me going into other ultra distance. I, I, I continued to ride further and further. And then you do the 100 miles in a day and 200 miles and you know, eventually did 300 miles in a day. And I cycled across the U.S. And I, I, I enjoyed kind of going long distance under my own power and then eventually got into to running. Um, and, and, you know, you, you do the marathon you, and then that goes up to a 50, then to a hundred and eventually to a 200 mile around just Lake Tahoe, which is this beautiful lake. Um, it's like, how far can you push your mind and body? And, and at one point I realized you can probably push it further than you can think. Um, but that was not going to pay the bills. Um, I always enjoyed the business aspect. So, and, and kind of the leadership development. So started off, um, you know, working in some leadership development functions and then eventually kind of continued to, to, uh, move my way up into human resources and then run an, uh, HR for a mid-sized technology company. And so it just, I, I love that. Pat. I love the, I love the business side. I love the endurance side. And I thought there were a lot of similarities, and we can talk uh, more about that, given your interest as well. So what made you decide to leave corporate and become your own boss? I knew early on that I wanted, it eventually wanted to run my own business, but I also knew that I needed to get certain skills in order to do that. My day dad, he, he ran his own business. He was a contractor and I could always go down, you know, he had an, an office down kind of at the, um, more in the basement of, of the house. And I could always go down there and just see him. And I thought it was so cool. Um, you know, just that, you know, my dad wasn't gone 10 hours a day and I could just go down and I could talk to him for a while. And then, or I, I always had a summer job cause I could always work, uh, work for him for the summer. And so I, I thought that was a great way. I have a good relationship with my dad. And I thought, you know, eventually I want to run my own business. Um, and part of it was because I want to be able to, to have my kids experience some of the things I had. Um, and and so about 10 years ago, actually 10 years ago last month um, I is when I started it. And the five years prior to that, my wife and I had been to a dozen funerals. and. And I thought, you know, my kids were, I think, three and five at the time. And I thought, I don't want to miss seeing them grow up. You know, you have this certain amount of time that you have with the kids. And eventually they go off to college. They go off and, and we're getting closer to that. And I, I didn't want to miss that. And also my parents, my, you know, both parents are in their 80s, is I didn't want to miss out on kind of the, you know, towards the end. And so I thought... I have the capability, I have the the means in order to start my own business and now's the time. And I and I remember I had made the decision and and my wife calls me up. She goes, You made the right decision because her father in law just got kind of a, a diagnosis with cancer that it wasn't gonna be long. And it's like, okay. And I have never regretted that decision. That's you know, that's quite a poignant story, man. And um, I, th I think we're put here on earth to, to live 
to love, to grow, to contribute, to learn. Yeah. And if you're not doing those things, I don't think you're going to feel fulfilled. And certainly, yeah, I don't feel fulfilled when I'm not doing those things. So good on you, man, that you had the, the well, guts, you know, I, I, the balls well, to do I, it. <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember when I was in college and I was dating this woman and we were up talking to her mom and her mom was probably my age now in mid fifties and she was doing a job she hated and she didn't like the people. She didn't like the work. She didn't like the organization and just was kind of bitching and moaning about it. And I thought, you know, I never want to be in a situation like that. I never want to be there. There are times you don't like the work you're doing or you may not like somebody you're working with. But if that is happening over and over and over, it's time to do something about it. And and I thought I never want to be in that situation. And, and I can comfortably say I've never been in that situation for long periods of time where it's like, I really hate what I'm doing. It's like, okay, let's let's change it then. Bang on, man. Bang on. I think that's super, super important. You don't want to be doing something that doesn't speak to your soul. Yeah, life's so, too short. Life is too short. So how did you decide on exactly the niche that you were going to go after? How did you get clear on that? I looked at what I was good at and what I enjoyed doing. What is it that I'm really good at? What is it I really like to do? And only focus on those areas. And I think I can be better at my job for only focusing on a few things. So, you know, I work with with companies that they're trying to figure out their strategic plan and they're, and they're bringing the team together to get everybody aligned. And so getting that team aligned around some common things and around some big things is what I, I enjoy doing. Or working individually with a leader on how do you how do you optimize your leadership? And so those are the two things that I really enjoy doing. And I think I've, you know, I've demonstrated some success at it. So when somebody comes up and says, hey, Brian, can you help me with this aspect of HR, even though I've done it? It's like, you know, I could, but I'm not the best person to do that. You know, you could probably hire somebody cheaper to do it and, and get a better job because they're staying up to staying more up to up to speed on so those, some of those things. And I and I remember early on, you know, talking to people and say, you really got to focus on what are the, the two or three things you, you can do well or that you want to do. And, and it took, it took a few years before I think I, I finally got that figured out. You know, um, I was talking to somebody today and I drew this Venn diagram for them and we were looking at what's the best way to decide who to work with. Well, first of all, look at who pays you the best. So what's, what's kind of like the most lucrative work? Uh, who do you love working with the most? Right. And who do you get the best results for? And what's the sweet spot where all three of those intersect? You figure that right. out and you just keep aiming for that sweet spot. Yeah, you're, you're in, you're t- I mean, it's great, great advice, Nikki. And, and, it, and, you know, it's so, it's not rocket science. <laughs> no, but it's it, not. And, and even the stuff in, in, that I have in my book, I mean, I don't think it's rocket science, but it just gets people, oh yeah, you know, I need, I need to think about that. Where, what, what how do I draw that Venn diagram and where's that stuff in the center and really focus on what, it, who, who do I want to work for? What do I want to do? Yeah. I, I love what you're doing, Nikki. No, that's important stuff. I think and in, in, in it's good that you managed to discover, you know, what you like to do and, uh, and, and you know, what you were good at, because that's part of the, the intersection too, right? 
So this lady, she's in HR too, funnily enough. Uh, and we, we had a long conversation because she can do so much. She's got a little bit of a, uh, a one woman, uh, you know, full service HR consultancy, but a, a bunch of the things she was doing, I thought, man, you're not getting paid a lot of money for doing those. She goes, yeah, you're right. I'm not. I'm like, why do you want to keep doing that then? She goes, oh, you know, that's a good question. And then the second question was, um, there's stuff you don't want to do, but you're really good at, right? But you just don't like doing them. There's certain kinds of, you know, HR harassment claims and that sort of thing. Yeah. She was like, yeah, I'm good at this, but man, that's going into the negativity of the world. And I just don't want to be in there. So I don't want to, I don't want to be offering that kind of work out to the people. And I go, well, you know, then don't <laughs> like that's yeah, take, take it off your menu. <laughs> yeah. Take it off your menu. I, I, I'm with you. You know, I've had people call me up and said, Hey, can you help me with re recruiting or can you help me with harassment claims? It's like, I don't want to, you know, go, go get somebody that's better at it and can do it better. So yeah, you're, you're spot on, on Nikki. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, the, the business of thought leadership, the business of being an authority or an expert is fascinating in and of itself because how to make that work for you so that you're doing stuff you love, you're getting paid what you should be getting paid, and you know, you're living a life of purpose and fulfillment. I think all of those are important questions that people in you know the work we do need to, to contemplate from time to time. And one of the things I look at is, and I was talking to somebody a couple of weeks ago and they were trying to decide, do I do that, do, do they do this big project? And it was an exciting project. I could tell they were excited about it, but it was going to take a lot of time. And and I looked at the person and I said, in 20 years or 30 years, are you going to regret not doing this? And and usually people will think a little bit about that. And he was like, yeah, I'll regret it. And I said, you got to do it. And and I've asked myself that question so many times. You know, I, I asked it when when I was going to start my own company. It's like, okay, years ago, um, my I, I'd started dating, who's now my wife, and I was thinking about traveling around the world and spending, you know, a, a long period of time. We, we ended up spending seven months, and I was leaving my my job in the middle of a career. You know, kind of in in you know the, at the height of when you would be making money, but it's like I I, I ask myself, okay, will I regret not taking these seven months off, kind of in a sabbatical and going traveling around the world? Will I regret that in ten, fifteen years? And it's like, yeah, I will. I got to go do it. And so I often ask that question. And then the other thing you were talking about is, you know, whenever we think about doing something big, we come up with a whole lot of excuses. You know, I, I'm too old. I'm too fat. I don't have the time. I don't have the money. And it just tons, <laughs> you know, you, you, you hear him, Nikki, tons of excuses. And the one thing that I will often ask is, okay, do you want to do it? Because if you say you don't want to do it, then that's legitimate in mind. But if you say, oh, I'm too old, eh, I'm too, too fat. I'm, I don't have enough time. I don't have enough money. It's like, okay, those are excuses. You can get around that. Even things about risk like oh it's too risky you can break risk down but I, I get some of that stuff but it's like do you fundamentally want to do it then try to figure out how can you go do it brilliantly said man brilliantly said so tell me what made you write the book I, you know, it, it's it's also one of these things. I go back to when I was uh, I was in college and I uh, um, I took a course and I wrote down you know that life's list and one of them was to write a book and I thought you know I think that would be I think it'd be cool. 
Um, but I also needed to have a, a body of knowledge that, you know, I, I didn't have enough, inf I didn't have enough knowledge, or I didn't have anything worthy to say at that point. And then, but I knew it's just, I wanted, I wanted the, I wanted to understand the discipline. I wanted to understand kind of what's involved in writing a book. And I thought it'd be fun. But why this book is, oh, about 10, 10 years ago, I was on a, a 300 mile bike ride. It's one day I was riding for 24, ended up being 25 hours. And I did the ride um, because I wanted to see how far I could push my mind and my body. I thought this would be the point where things would break down and I, and it, it, I could find that limit, my kind of own personal limit. And earlier in the day, I'd seen a fellow cyclist dead on the side of the road um, because two, the first 200 miles was an organized ride. And then I then did 100 miles on my own. I kind of finished it and then uh, did 100 miles on my own. And another cyclist died in the first 200 miles. And, and that's like kind of shook Ooh. me. And, and then I was coming through an aid station and another guy came out and hit me, caused me to need, need a new front wheel. And that kind of shook me a little bit. But I continued on. And at mile 275, and I remember this because I only had 25 miles left, I thought, you know, it was a hard day, but I never re reached that limit. And I can see the finish line. And it got me thinking about, you know, sometimes we put these limits in our head mm. and they hold us back. And, and that's when kind of the book started to form. And then I thought, okay, I need, I need something else to push me. And I got involved in running. And then, you know, after I did the 200 mile run around Lake Tahoe, I thought there's something here. Um, you know, there, there, there's, a, there's a book here and, and it started to form and, and, and I had some of the things that I had done, kind of an ultra distance athlete, and, and some of it applied on the work side. Yeah. But I wanted to, I wanted to learn from a hundred other people. I wanted to learn from a bunch of other people, and I just kind of randomly said a hundred people. And most of those people, so three quarters of them, were going to be on the business side, and then the remaining were going to be on the sports side because I, I, I sense there's a lot of similarities, just personally, and some talking to some friends. And, and, and I know one of your guests, uh, Rick Vive, you know, you, who I, I listened to his show, uh, you know, he's on the sports side and he talks about stuff that relates to business. And so I wanted to be able to see that connection is people that accomplish big things in, in the office at work often accomplish big things elsewhere. And there's a lot of similarities between what you have to do in sports or in business. And, and that's how epic performance came to be. Um, and it's that framework to kind of think big and then take it across the finish line. I like it, man. I, I, I like the acronym. It's really good stuff. The story that you have behind it of how you came to finish the 300 mile ride is very powerful too. So um, who's the audience this book is aimed for? Who do you want this to impact the most? Yeah. So there's two kind of people I think would would be appropriate. First of all, it's that person relatively new in their career. And they're you know they they've got some ideas and they're they're trying to figure out, okay, how do I get there? And and part of it is encouraging them to think further out than just one year or two years. Um and then that other audience is that person that's kind of in the middle of their career that is 
you know, they're trying to figure out, do I pivot? You know, or what do I knew, knew yet? They're, they're 30 or 40 years or 50, 45 years old. They still have a lot of, of runway ahead of them. And, and they're, I know you're just talking to friends. You, you get to that certain age. It's like, oh, you know, I'm too old for that. It's like, maybe you're not, you know, how I, I just, I don't want people to get to be at the end of their life and think, I wish I would have started my own business. I wish I would have traveled the world, whatever it is. I mean, we have these dreams and, and, and we have this limited time on this earth. Unfortunately, we don't know how, how it is. I mean, my, my wife's, my wife's biological father died in his third, early thirties. Her grand, her, both her grandparents lived to be 94 and her grand, both her grandmothers lived to be almost 102. Wow. So yeah, we don't know how long we have on the life, but uh, on this planet, but let's, let's use the time and let's not get to toward the end and go, oh man, I wish I would have whatever fill in the blank. You know, that's very powerful and very true. Uh, I'm in my mid fifties as well. I just turned 55. And the thing that really is on my mind right now is what is it that I have wanted to accomplish that I've yet to accomplish? Yeah. So when I was a, a young boy, I always wanted to be a best-selling novelist. So last year, I, I befriended a man who sold several million books as a novelist. His name is Jeff Michael Hopf. Uh, he wrote a series of books. Um, you know, over a nine-year period, he wrote like 40 novels and he sold a whole whack of them. And then he took a couple of years off. Now he's back writing again. I interviewed him a year ago and I just recently interviewed him again for uh, my men's podcast. And it reminded me, hey man, this has been part of your dream. You wrote the book. It's ready. Go out there and self-publish it, if nothing else. And, yeah. and you know, maybe the next one you go out, you uh you, uh, you, you have a traditional publisher publish it, but that's been one of my dreams, man. So this novel, I've written eight books, but I haven't got a novel out there. This novel has got to get out there and it's got to get published first and foremost. Right. Secondly, um, you know, I'm keen on making sure that uh, my two sons, I raise them to be uh, good men out in the world. They're teenagers that's on my mind. So like, I'm thinking about that, working on that yeah. all the time. And I want to be accomplishing more from a business point of view. I mean, I've done decently, but I want to do more. Those are the things that are spurring me on. And interesting that you talk about, you know, folks who say, I'm too old to do that, too old to run, too old to bike. That's a load of bull crap from my perspective. Yeah. It's a total load of bull crap. You know, I used to be a top fitness trainer. I stopped when I got more into the business consulting side of things. And uh, I wasn't quite as diligent with my health and fitness as I was back, back in those days. Up until my mid-40s, that was my focus. And I was really, really jacked and fit and all that good stuff. In the last eight, nine, 10 years, I haven't been, my eye hasn't been on the ball. I still worked out, but you know, the nutrition hasn't been as solid. I haven't, you know what I'm saying? All that jazz. And just this summer, I said yeah. to myself, fuck it. No more of that crap. And eat, eat clean, eat right. The biggest mistake that I've been doing was I just eat a ton of food late at night. 
I just would let myself eat late, which I'd never done before. But for the last 10 years, I just ate a ton of food late in life. On August 1st, I said, okay, that's done. That is done. And that hasn't happened since then, you know? And um, that's what I think everybody's got to do is if you got a dream, if you got a desire and you haven't really taken the steps to make it happen, and you live in a first world country like ours, man, yeah. get with it. Get with you know, it. I- I love you. Know, ice cream is my weakness, so I, I get that point about you know eating. At some point, you have to stop. And 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 I remember when I was training. I mean, you you hit on some great points, and I'd love to to make a few comments. The when I was training, I, I said to my wife, I said, "Honey, don't buy ice cream because if it's in the house, I'll eat it." So stop stop the source. Um, but what I what I loved you just did, Nikki, and and I think it's so powerful. And I talk about you know the the concept in the book is you just shared a couple of things that are on your your wish list, your bucket list, your life's list, whatever we call it. You want it? You want to you know be a novelist? You know, be a best selling novelist. And and the fact that you just told me and all of your listeners is a commitment that okay you are now uh, there's a lot of things that are in our head that it's like oh i want to do this i want to do this but once we say it out loud that's the a first level of commitment uh, and so i i will i you know i i know that if i am talking to you in six months or you know we our paths cross again i'm gonna say hey nikki how's that novel going and it just and i remember when i was writing my book um you know i I, it took me a couple of years to get it written and and I knew that okay I'm going to see somebody and they're going to ask me how the book's going. Yeah. And and I don't want to have to tell them the same story. Yeah. I don't want to oh yeah you know I'm I'm 30% through. And then you know 6 months later I see him oh how you doing? Oh I'm 30% through. I I I want to show progress. And so there's you tell somebody that and you're now you got somebody else that's holding you accountable. Um, so, so I love what you, I love what you, you do. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, so many times we don't do something cause we're afraid it'll, we'll fail. And, and even writing a book, it's like, what if nobody buys the book? And I thought, well, what if nobody buys the book, nobody buys the book. You know, it's like, I still accomplished what I wanted to accomplish, but what if somebody does buy the book and it helps change their life? So if, and if nobody buys the book, what have I lost? I've lost a little bit of time and, you know, I've lost a little bit of money. You know, I could probably afford both of those. So the risk isn't that big. I'm, you know, we often think about the worst case scenario as, a, as opposed to kind of the realistic worst well, case scenario. If, if this is, you know, your first book, I don't think you lose even if you don't sell a single book. I think you win because you wrote the book, right? Yeah. And that's what was the case with my first book i've not sold thousands and thousands of copies of my books in total i've probably sold five thousand copies i've given away that many as well yeah but i tell you what um my first book got into the hands of a lot of ideal clients for me and uh i followed up those conversation, those, 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 you know, experiences of them getting the book with phone calls and meetings. And I set up conversations to discover what 
issues those people were dealing with. Like a lot of coaches and consultants in, in our space are really, really talented at what they do. They hate to sell. They hate to sell. The very concept of selling gives them ooh, the willies, right? And they just go in their head, oh my God, I don't want to come across as sales, especially people from a corporate background. I don't come across right. as pushy. You know, what are they going to think of me? They're going to think I'm one of those people with commission breath weaking off of me. Like people just <laughs> think that, right? Those people don't get clients they should be getting. That's a fact. There are people that they should be talking yeah. to, but that fear holds them back from making that connection properly and having that that work being done by them with that individual or that organization. Why is that bad? Well, obviously it's bad for you because your business suffers, doesn't get as much revenue as you should be. You know, your self-esteem takes a bit of a hit. Oh my God, they should have worked with me. What's wrong with you? Why didn't they work with you? All that crap that goes through your head. The client suffers because a good, talented person that could have really solved the problem for them doesn't. So they're going to continue to suffer with whatever the pain is. And then some charlatan marketer is going to come out there who has no compunction about that crap. He's going to get the business because he's a sizzle seller, right? And he's going to grab that business, but he's not going to deliver because he doesn't know what the hell he's doing, right? And, and the sum total of goodness in the world is reduced for all three individuals. Even the charlatan market marketer doesn't have his comeuppance, which he richly deserves, and doesn't have God give him the message he's supposed to get, and he's going to continue along the wrong path. And all that happens. So me, this has been one of my blessings, is I'm really good at helping those people reframe all that negativity in their head from selling to serving. Nobody you know, wants I, to be sold. I, I, everybody I, I, wants to serve people, right? Everybody <laughs> wants to be served, serve, like serve. And if you take your... If you help somebody, and this obviously can't happen in a 30-second or two-minute conversation. This takes time right. to get that done. But I've been able to help really good people who are making, you know, a decent living, six figures, mid or you know, quarter million, half a million, whatever it is, but yeah. really ought to be making two, three, four times that, right? Let's be honest, based on what they're I help those people do that. And that makes me happy because that's what I think a lot of people in our space are. are are hurting because they're not doing that, right? The other big issue, one that you don't suffer from, is that a lot of them try to be all things to all people. Thankfully, you've figured that out, that you can't do that and it doesn't work and <laughs> it's, it's not good. But to me, those two things, along with mispositioning yourself, positioning yourself in a, in a, in a way that doesn't truly show your greatness is what causes people to fail. And yeah. it causes people not to not to achieve what they should achieve. And maybe the world will look at their, their success and go, no, 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 what are you talking about? They're not failing. They're doing great. But inside, they're, they're, they don't feel like they're doing great. They you, like they're failing. You know, I, I wish I would have talked to you like 10 years ago, Nikki. Yeah, because because you know my my I, I did I don't like to to sell. Um, but then you, I have to shift it. It's like oh, I'm I'm not selling them. I'm 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 giving them something that will help them. Um, and and it really helps me focus. And and I was always hesitant. And, and this is one thing that the book just nailed for me really well. I was always hesitant to ask for fear that I would get no. 
You know, it's like, hey, hey, Nikki, will can, you know, can I be on your podcast? And I would, I was worried, I'd be worried that you'd say no. And and even when I when I went out to interview, I, I set a goal of I want to interview a hundred people. And I thought, how many people am I going to have to ask in order to get a hundred? And what what blows me out of the water is I only had to ask a hundred and two. You know, I only had two people that said no. And and it reinforced that if you don't ask, the answer's no. Always no. Yeah, it's always no. If you do ask, sometimes the answer's yes. And and so it, it, you're going to get more yeses than when you ask than when you don't ask. And 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 so it's like ask. It's like, hey, I, I want to be on Nikki's podcast. It's like it's a really good podcast. I'm going to ask. You could have said no, and if you would have said no, it's like okay, I'm I can move on. What's the worst case that's going to happen to me? Uh, maybe I'm I'm going to be a little bit. I'm going to feel a little bit down for a moment, but I'm gonna I, I'm going to survive. Yeah. And yeah, and that's the thing. And it's like, and I remember if I were to go back and be be uh, my my ten or my 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 thirteen year old self, I remember. You know, and, and and maybe you do as well. You're a good looking guy, so you probably don't have have this. But I, I remember, you know, at the at the the seventh grade dance, and you're looking at, or eighth grade dance, and you're looking across the gym, and you see the the pretty girl that you want to go ask the dance, but it's like it's a mile and a half to walk across the gym, yeah. And you're afraid to hear no, and I I remember that, and it's like, okay, man, if you walk across, well, if I don't walk across, the answer is no. And if I walk across and ask her if she wants to dance, maybe the answer is yes. But I'll tell you, it's a long walk back if the answer is no. But you survive. Yeah. So it's like go out and try some things and you may fail. Now, when I was a, when I was a, a young teenager, I was painfully uh, obvious, uh, aware of my shortcomings with the opposite <laughs> sex. It took me a long time to be a little bit less awkward than I was. I, I didn't really have a, a girlfriend until I was 17 or 18 years old. Yeah. So. I, I'm glad I have a, I, I'm happily married and I, my, my wife loves me because I would hate to be dating. It's like, oh, because you, those, all those insecurities come back, but that's a, that's a whole different man. podcast. Well, listen, being a, being in a great relationship is a wonderful thing. It's a great blessing for yeah. me. hundred percent. And you're right. It is a, it is a topic for another podcast. So yeah. So your book, um, so if people are wanting to get a hold of your book or get in touch with you, what's, what's the best way? Yeah, so you can go onto Amazon. It's on Amazon in hard copy or on Kindle version. Epic Performances, um, Lessons from 100 Executives and Endurance Athletes on Reaching Your Peak. Or you can go to epicperformances.com. And so that's E-P-I-C, performances with an S, dot com. And you can learn more about me and connect up with me. I also have a, a, an assessment that you can take an assessment of how well you perform in those five different areas. Um, and, and if you go in to Epic Performances, you can take the assessment for free and it'll ask for a, a, a business code or a code and just type in uh, revolution. And uh, it ties into to your, so you, you <laughs> can go get that. And then I'll turn a, I'll turn a, the assessment around in about 24 hours. That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay. We'll make sure all that's information in the show notes and that'll be available to, to folks to, to jump all over and uh, listener, Brian Gillette, the man with the, with the incredible uh, last name. Uh, <laughs> he's the man who, who's the real deal. His book sounds absolutely fantastic. I'm definitely going to grab a copy and read it. 
I love to read. I love to learn from smart people. Brian's definitely a smart man. And um, Brian, we end off each and every single episode by asking you as our guest expert, what are your top three expert action steps? These are your best pieces of advice to help my listener take his or her life and business to the next level. So what do you say? Ask yourself, will I regret doing this when I'm 80 or 20, 30 years down the road? Um, identify the five things in life that you want to do. It could be three, it could be four, it could be five. But identify a couple of things that you want to do before you leave this planet. And then write down, choose one of them and write down one thing you can do in the next 72 hours that will move you forward on one of those. And then once you do it, repeat that and figure out another thing you can do in the next 72 hours. And then, you know, it's out, put one step in front of the other and soon you'll be walking out the door. You know, you're old enough to remember that uh, Christmas uh, oh, song. Amazing. So, yeah. Amazing. So, so Brian, those are three awesome expert action steps. So listener, Brian Gillette, The Real Deal. Go check out uh, his uh, book. Uh, go check out his website. All that information is going to be in the show notes. Get in touch with him. He's, you know, uh, been very gracious and generous and said that if you want to get in touch with him, he's, he's up for that. Not every guest wants that. So when a, uh, a top-level guest that's on this show offers that, I suggest that you take him up on it. Here's the amazing thing. Brian, you'll probably be lucky to get one or two people to do it because most people just they, they just go, oh, I shouldn't do it. It's just crazy, man. It's incredible. I, I was on a show with millions of downloads and I had 40 people reach out to me out of like 5 million that heard it. It was, it was crazy. And they, yeah. they said, look, it's good that you put it out there, but most people are going to, I don't want to bother the guy. Bother him. Hey, bother him. Bother me. Bother Wait, him. You know, I, I Listener, make sure you take advantage of getting in touch with, with Brian. And, uh, you know, that wraps up another exciting episode of the podcast, The Thought Leader Revolution. To find out more about today's amazing guest, the one and only Brian Gillette, make sure that you go to thethoughtleaderrevolution.com show notes or wherever you happen to listen to this podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Audible, Google Play, wherever the heck it is. Go to the show notes, check it all out, get in touch with the man. And... If you enjoyed this episode, don't be stingy. Share it with someone else who needs the message. That's what we ask you to do. I learned this from Andy Frisella from the Real AF podcast. The fee for the show is always share, share, share. That's always the fee for the show. So we ask you to do that. Share, share, share. Until next time, goodbye. This episode has been brought to you by eCircleAcademy.com, the proven system to add six to seven figures a year to your thought leader practice.